Hey, and welcome to the show today. You're listening to Sensensa.com, Feel Your Heart podcast. And we have another really great show for you today. Justine is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and transformational performance coach. She guides driven women who are not performing to their best and help them overcome the chaos of raging hormones and take back control over their health and happiness. Today, you'll learn how your hormones impact your life and how you can start to take back control. This podcast is made by Sensensa.com, the leading relationship institute for relationship skills and courses based on science made practical. To get the one-hour free webinar that will give you the key skills to get a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, just go to Sensensa.com and sign up. The link is in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and leave a review. It really helps me keep the positive energy going to make more podcasts. Let's head over and speak to Justine. I have, as you know, lots of questions for you today. And, and we'll <laughs> we'll see how far we get. And, you know, if we don't finish it, uh -huh. I'll get you back another time, which I would love anyway. So I think the first thing is, okay. is just to understand, as you know, we talked about previously before the call, I hear this term, balance your hormones. And I actually thought straight away, what does that actually mean? And I'm quite sure a lot of the listeners out there will say the same. It's a term, but we don't really know what it actually means. So I would love to get some right. clarity around this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and I say balance your hormones all the time as well, because it's something that we're all familiar with. We don't exactly know what it is, but everybody has this something to reach, right? Like it's this goal that we need, especially when our lives are feeling so out of balance. So having your hormones in balance is something that people can connect with. But it is, it isn't exactly what people think uh, in many terms. So when women go to very often for women's health, especially if they're working well, you know, they're not on a, a regular cycle or they're going in um, perimenopause, menopause, they go in and, and they say, hey, I need to balance my hormones. So we take a look at hormones and we try to put them in an exact ratio. You know, we try to put estrogen should be here and progesterone should be here and then you should feel great. The, the reality is, is that hormones are um, responsive or um, what's the word I usually use? Well, it's responsive chemistry. But that what that means is, is that hormones are reacting to the signals from something else. It's not really about the hormones themselves. They are more messengers. So what happens when we're talking about balance is what we really want is our hormones to, we want to be able to have enough hormones. We want to have not too many hormones, you know, our body to be able to release hormones we don't need anymore, but also that the signals are working so that the hormones are basically going back and forth, um, providing those messages uh, with ease versus getting, you know, confused or, or, too many messages or not enough messages. And and so balance really means where the whole system works. And it's not just about the hormones. It's about the um, the glands and the signaling and all of that working together in harmony so that our our hormones can go back and forth and do the job that they're meant to do. Does that make sense? I? Yeah, it, I think the the concept makes sense. I guess the big question that maybe we'll explore a bit is 
how to how to get into a balance or how to even know if you are out of balance because again yeah i guess we can obviously feel different sensations in our body and of course we register different emotions but yeah i just thought is is there right. ways to kind of notice when we are out of balance how do we even know that we are out of balance well honestly hormones um, are going to be affected or effect symptoms so if you're feeling if you have symptoms like if you're chronically fatigued if you're chronically agitated um, your patience is worn down you start to put on weight you start any of those things your hormones are going to be out of balance so anytime that you have an emotional or a physical um, set of symptoms that kind of aren't going away then there is going to be a correlation with your hormones there's always a hormone connection. And so when we say our hormones in balance, we what we really want to say is is that we want our our bodies and our minds to be in balance where we don't have these chronic symptoms. A lot of times people think that symptoms as we age are normal, like that's totally fine. Well, they're common, but they're not necessarily normal. You shouldn't have chronic pain. You shouldn't have chronic fatigue. You shouldn't have all these symptoms that we think of as, um, you know, along with aging. And so anytime things start disconnecting in your own body or in your emotional state, you have a hormone imbalance. Now, what I'm going to, and I'm I'm not saying that hormones are the cause of all those things. What I'm saying is is they they go together. So there's a correlation between them, not a cause and effect. Uh, What's happening is is whatever the dysfunction is, is going to disrupt your hormones and their ability to do their job. And when hormones cannot do their job, then that's going to affect other areas. So do you see how they... They kind of go together versus cause and effect, direct cause and effect. Yeah, it's an integrated system, right? And I guess it's a bit like when we talk about the the genetic nurture in in psychology. Is it genetic? Is it nurturing our, our social, you know, our impact of? And again, it goes right. both ways, right? It's not one or the other. Our right. experiences impact what genes unfold, and also our genes obviously impact how we show up. So it, it's a two way. It sounds mm-hmm. a bit like the same to me. If, if I'm getting it right. Mm-hmm. It is. And for a lot of people, sometimes that sounds like it's just too big to deal with, right? Because when it's integrated, it's like, well, then how do we even actually, you know, fix it, <laughs> right? Um, the, the nice thing about this is, though, is, is that as you start to correct one area, it starts to actually have a positive effect on other areas. And so just like we have a cascade down, we can also have a cascade up, if you will, right? And so I myself have had, I I was in the military and my body started to just break down. My hormones were insane. I, I, um, I've i got a couple of blog posts out there that talk about how if you were near me at the wrong time and had a knife in my hand, you'd be in real trouble because my hormones were, and I had no control. It was, they were just, I would cry. Um, at anything. And then I would just, I I just didn't want anything to be around me at other times, right? It was just, it was horrible. And um, this was actually during the beginning when, when my fibromyalgia started to kick in. And 
so what's interesting is, is that I had hormones that were going out of control and they were trying to control them with hormones. And then all of a sudden my body really started to break down because we weren't really paying attention to what was going on. And um, start paying attention though to what causes things, you know, or what triggers things. And you start making these small corrections. You start to notice that everything starts to like click into place. And the more you click things into place, the more rapidly you improve. Uh, There was one point where I wouldn't drive outside of the city because I was afraid somebody would have to come and get me because I would just freeze up. Um, I, I had palsy really bad. And so I wouldn't even drive outside the city. And then you and I were talking about, you know, going to the UK and I, I can drive all over in the UK for, you know, weeks. I was just in Northern Ireland not too long ago by myself driving all over the place. And I didn't have a care about it because I got my body to start healing and now all of those things are gone. It's it's amazing how easy it is once you just start paying attention to the little things, but understand that they're integrated rather than trying to fix a symptom. Mm, that's uh, I love that point. And again, it's a very different view than the traditional medical view because if people go to the doctor, they get a hormone test and they get told, this is a treatment, you need to correct that. And you're right, there's no holistic, integrated mm-hmm. approach, which is what I really like about mm-hmm. what you're talking about. I think what mm-hmm. is, so what I'm thinking about, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, if I'm obviously having some of these experiences similar to what you describe, that you could feel how you were about to collapse, how do people go about figuring out where to start? Like, where do, what do they do? Do they go get a hormone test? Because you also mentioned that there could be a lot of other things that actually impact. It's not a one-way stream. So where do they start? Right. So the start part is is kind of, um, you know, that's the hard piece. Because if you go and you get a hormone test initially, I, I'll tell you, if you feel like you have hormone imbalance, you do. And, and often, if you don't feel like you do, you still do. And the reason is is because we have we have like 50 hormones that we know that we know of and some of those hormones are our stress hormones so if you're not feeling you know safe and you're not feeling like yourself and you've got a lot of stress going on just your stress response hormones are going to cause your other hormones to be out of balance so going and taking a hormone test is great and I use it. It's a it's a beautiful tool. You absolutely need to use it. But that in my own practice, that's not where I start. And the reason I don't start there is because the trend is to look at it and say, oh, you know, your progesterone's low, let's give you some progesterone or where your estrogen's high, let's give you something to bring it down, that kind of thing. And so they want to correct the 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 imbalance rather than looking at that imbalance and saying, okay, why do we have that imbalance? So what I do with my own uh, clients is, is I start saying things like, okay, so let tell me about your symptoms. And I, and I don't want to know your top three. I want to know everything. So I even have these assessments to make people, you know, spend time and they're kind of redundant and horrible. But what's really beautiful about them is is that we start to see where the patterns are of dysfunction. So when you go to the doctor, we always just give them, you know, a couple of symptoms, maybe five at the most. But 
that's not actually a full picture. And people forget that they have these other symptoms because they may have been living with them for a long time and they just are, they're just normal now, right? And so by going through a real symptomology, you can see what systems within the body are, are most affected. And then you want to start talking about your history, like you said uh, just a moment ago, when we're talking about genetics and the nurturing, you have to see, well, what kind of things are in your family? And, but also, what about your lifestyle over time? Because that's going to be really telling as to what systems have, are, have been malfunctioning or there's a dysfunction in, right? They have, they're not at their best. And then once we do that, now we take the test. And the beautiful thing about a hormone test in particular is it's not about correcting what we find in a hormone test. It's that if you take a hormone test, you have a baseline. And as we provide relief and as we provide correction for the things that we do find, that hormone test is going to tell us if we're on the right track or not, because it's going to start to balance itself out as we make the corrections. And if we're not correcting something within our hormone, you know, with the hormone test, we're not seeing something being corrected, then we know that we, we either need to spend more time there or look a little bit deeper in a particular area. So I ask people to say, ask these three questions when they talk to a doctor or anybody. It's not about why my estrogen is high or low or you know my progesterone is high or low. It's why am I not making enough? And why am I not releasing or eliminating used and excess hormones? And why are my signals not correct? Because hormones are produced by our body and they're used as a signal. And if they're not working, our body's either not making them or they're not flushing them out when we don't need them anymore, or the signals are mixed up and we're making too much, we're not making enough, or they're not getting where they need to go. And so those are the actual questions we need to start asking. Um, but historically, women are hormonal <laughs> and everything is about hormones. Um, even women say that, right? Oh, I'm just hormonal today. And so we always think of hormones first as the cause. But what they really are is an incredible compass as to what is going on in our bodies that need correcting. You know, I love this point and I've never thought about it in this way this is a really beautiful insight to see it as a guide as you say a compass rather than than just think about it as an issue and cause that in itself need to be fixed and therefore provide a much more holistic approach which could be like you said looking at different stress factors different old traumas other things that could be affecting this long term and using it as a guide i think it's a bit in, in therapy, if people get treatment for anxiety, we should scan their amygdala and see if there's less activity over time to see whether we actually are having effect in what we're doing. And I guess mm -hmm. it's kind of like the hormone test rather than being what tells you then, okay, I need to correct this hormone. You use it as a guide to see mm -hmm. are all my, my different treatments and approaches actually having the effect that we want. I just love that concept. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's so hard to think of it that way because we hear, oh, you know, low estrogen, one of the symptoms is, you know, low bones, right? Your, your bone health or weak bones, right? And the thing is, is that 
low estrogen doesn't cause weak bones. Low estrogen is correlated with weak bones. And so why you have weak bones is probably one of the reasons why you have low estrogen and, and vice versa, right? So having low estrogen tells us, okay, we need to pay attention to our bone health and figure out what's going on so we can correct the estrogen levels, but also prevent us from having weak bones. But by giving us estrogen alone, it may help support bone health, but that not it's not the cause. So it's not actually going to correct the problem of why you might have low weak bones. Um, and then people with low, I've had, so in my own case, I have postmenopausal hormones since I was 32 and I've been on no hormone replacement therapy since I was 32. I had a full hysterectomy due to all this stuff in the, when I was in my 20s. And my bones are strong. I have absolutely no I sit a lot for, for my work and I had fibromyalgia, which really kept me from, from being able to do things. Um, but the moment that they said, oh, you're starting to have some osteopenia, I started changing some things up and then it, it reversed it. And it wasn't because I gave myself more estrogen. Just start looking at this in that way can be really helpful for a lot of people listening out there because then rather than just trying to correct the hormone, they will start looking at all these other potential causes. And I guess this is where, you know, your help is really beneficial if people want to do that. And again, I'll provide details for how people can get in contact with you afterwards and in the in the comment section. And yeah, I, I just feel because again, going through this questionnaire that you have will then help people find a more, more clarity, I guess, around what is actually causing this so they can actually address the mm -hmm. real problem. And again, mm -hmm. I find this is why I compared it to the, the whole idea of, of how we approach medical things because often we, we try to just patch off the problem rather than figure out what is the underlying cause, right? Yeah. And I, I, I will say that, you know, there's, we, we talk about the root cause a lot that, that kind of has become a thing out there. But I, what I will say is, is that many times we don't actually will find, we won't find the root cause. What we find is actually the system that needs extra support so that the body can heal that system. So what we're doing is just not correcting a root cause on our own. And we may never even know what the root cause is. But once we figure out where the system is that's dysfunctioning the most and we start that and figure out what's missing and, what is, and we start providing some relief so that the stress response system can kind of calm down and get out of the way. Because when the stress response system is on high, it hijacks everything. And so healing and repairing is, is very difficult to do unless you can provide some relief. So relief is part of that correction. Um, it's that I and I'm gonna I'm picking on doctors, but I don't I don't mean to. But that's why taking some of these medication hormone replacement therapy is wonderful because it can provide us some relief to help our body free up other resources and stuff so we can start to heal and repair. The problem with our modern medical fixing that symptom providing that relief and then we we don't go any further we don't actually check 
in and see, okay, why was that there? And that's why I ask people to say, why am I not producing? Why am I not eliminating? And why are my signals mixed up? Instead of saying, oh, what it's my hormone, you know, ratios. Mm-hmm. Again, that's a that's a map. But what we want to do is really support the body in a way that it can do that healing and 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 repair that it does on a daily basis, but it can't if it doesn't have the resources and it can't if that stress response system is on on guard for everything because it 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 takes resources away from those those healing prop, you know, those healing systems and puts them towards survival because your mind and your body don't care if you digest your your meal if you don't survive and they don't care if you fight that virus that might hurt you 10 days from now if you don't survive right now and our our brain and our body work with stress as if it is a survival thing right now unless you know how to deal with it so it sounds like if i understand correctly that giving some hormone therapy can be good to allow people to then look at other things that then need healing and i guess it's a bit like when we talk about mental health issues depression anxiety that yes you know getting medicine to help with those things is not necessarily a bad thing if it helps you come out of the darkness where you can actually do the work and try mm-hmm. and look at the causes of why you've gone into depression, etc. Um, but just the medicine in itself is not going to solve the problem long term. And it's a bit, I hear a bit the mm-hmm. same in the way you describe this, that, you know, providing hormones can be a good way to give people uh, at least the resources and place where they can look at other things is that, uh, or other causes. Is that correct? Absolutely. So horm- so I often call hormone replacement therapy, <laughs> hormone relief therapy. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it can be a little bit deeper than that. Um, it's just in my, I'm not a physician, I'm a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. So I, I'm not quite, you know, going to work with those really extreme cases. So hormones could definitely help in some, some areas. For instance, like my mother, she had thyroid cancer, and so she had to take thyroid because she she couldn't produce it on her own. So it does go deeper than just relief. However, for the for most women, I, I work primarily with uh, menopausal women, not strictly, but mostly in in that area. And so, if they start to have menopause sy- symptoms and they start taking hormone replacement therapy, and it, it eases those symptoms for them, and they it doesn't get worse and they're not going back into the doctor all the time for for tweaks and stuff, then that's really all they needed was just a little bit something just to calm everything down so the body could just go on with what it's doing. But if you're if you're taking hormone replacement and your symptoms start to get worse, or you know, it works for a little while and then it just doesn't work, or can't seem to get the right ratios down then what's happening is is it's not the hormones at all it's really something else and you're never going to get those hormones you know in a place where everything goes away because you're ignoring the the system that actually needs the the correcting and that's unfortunate because what ends up happening a lot of times is people go in for hormone replacement therapy they get it they feel good and they think it's all done but they miss their opportunity that that window 
right, of where they had some relief where they could correct the problem. And so once they get beyond that, then it becomes a lot harder because they can no longer get the relief from the the hormone. I wanted to ask you, because obviously we've been talking a lot about a different way of looking at at hormones. And I'm just curious, Mm -hmm. when we talk about this idea of the hormone lie, is that what we have been discussing now? Is that basically, or or does that mean something Mm -hmm. else entirely? No, the hormone, that's that's exactly right. So hormones are thought to, you'll hear women say, well, they control everything. You know, if you don't have your hormones, you don't have anything. Uh, once your hormones go, your life is over. Now you're going to just get wrinkled and old and hurt. And, and and it's not because it's not about the hormones. Um, what it What it is, is your underlying systems. When I when I talk to women often, I, I explain to them menopause in many ways is puberty in reverse, right? We we're not fertile. We go through puberty. We become fertile, and now we're becoming unfertile again, right? Our body has decided. Well, you know, we're at a certain age. Uh, we have no viable eggs anymore. Uh, so why spend resources, time, and energy trying to keep this system up that is no longer functional? Because our bodies are efficient, if nothing else. They they are incredibly efficient. Um, and so they just say, okay, it's time to shut this down. But as women, you know, many of us have very difficult puberty periods, right? But as older women, we've had a lot more stress through the years. We've, you know, used our bodies incorrectly. We've had poor diets, maybe. You know, we've we've gone through a lot. Our bodies have gone through a tremendous amount of of um, experiences through the years. And so, when we get into our menopausal years or our perimenopausal years, even things can be pretty out of whack as the body is trying to, you know, bring down these hormone levels and start to change its new normal. Other systems start to be affected. And it's not that the hormones are causing the problem. It's just that the body is having a very hard time compensating and signals are a little bit mixed up as it's trying to readjust itself. And so now signals are really out of whack for some people, if that makes sense. We don't treat menopause. And what we really should be looking at is treating the reason why our menopause is so so horrible and rough. Not not menopause itself. It's not really a problem. So that's kind of the hormone lie. The hormone lie is is that we look at hormones as if they are the rulers, but really what they're doing is responding. Thank you for clarifying that. And I also think a lot of us think that also hormones is, is to a large degree what dictates our moods, which kind of bring me on to the next mm-hmm. topic, because I would kind of love some clarification on how does hormones actually affect our moods and what is the truth around mm-hmm. this? Basically, they are recipes of chemistry. They're the cousins to hormones. Neurotransmitters are the messengers that run through our neural pathways, our circulatory system you know, through our glands and circulatory system. And the thing is, is our bodies are going to be sensing stuff at all times and hormones affect how we sense those things, right? So um, if we're on higher alert, our body is going to be 
much more sensitive to the moods of other people and the environments around us. And our, our environments are going to dictate what our hedonic tone is in our brain. And that's going to create the chemistry recipe because our brain is always looking for threats. It's always looking to see if we're safe. And what it's doing is, is it creates this cocktail, if you will, and it tells us what the problem is. So our moods and our emotions are actually our brain's way of telling us where the threat is. So if we're angry, it generally means that something that we value is either possibly going to be taken away from us or we're being prevented from having. Um, if we're judgmental, often that is an indication that something about us doesn't feel right, like maybe our our body isn't working right, so we're walking funny, um, or we're not dressed for the occasion or something. So what we're doing is we're actually looking around to see if, if there are other people who are at the bottom of the food chain, other weak prey, if you will. So we start to get judgmental. And it's not about, it's about us feeling safer, knowing we're not the the bottom of the rung we're not the most easy prey in the room yeah i really like Food. the way you put this and i think the way that you also <laughs> you know the way you even describe this makes so much sense and i actually i never had it put to me in this way that you describe it now and i really like actually what you say even though it's a bit off topic how you describe a judgmental attitude i think is quite an important point because as you said we can start seeing it as like you said somebody who is feeling down and just don't want to be at the bottom and it makes it suddenly much less personal when people are being judgmental too right towards you know mm -hmm. how we are so i think that's a wonderful and also a true way of actually looking at what judgment is so thank you for bringing that point up Well, I think one of the hardest things for all of us to understand is that so our brain uh, and estrogen for women in particular, but men have estrogen as well, but we have a little bit more. Um, our brain is affected by our hormones. So estrogen will affect um, areas of our brain that really want us to belong to to where we, where, where we want to not belong in the same area. Um, areas where it makes people more concerned about hierarchy, they're standing within the group, whereas estrogen makes um, them more concerned about the collective, right? So, so when we're looking at this, you know, we really get affected when people say something to us that's negative in some way or, or, or another. But in reality, if a person is nice to you, And they say, oh, you have a wonderful haircut or you're looking, you know, really good. Have you lost weight, you know, um, and they're being really happy. It's really a reflection of what's going on inside their brain. Their brain is actually happy and feeling comfortable so that they can see the world in a more comfortable, happy place. And so everything becomes that way. But if they're dark and they criticize and they're judgmental and and it's it's not about you, it's always about them their brain is seen. So if they're feeling threatened, their brain is going to have that chemistry in there that's going to say, okay, you're being threatened. And they're going to look to be on the offensive and the defensive. And so when people, you know, we take it all personally, right? It's especially women, we just, we just crumble um, when people are 
or mean or say something critical, but it has nothing to do with us. It really has to do with the person who's saying it. It really has to do with how they are feeling and what, what threats their brain and their sensory system are picking up. Mm, thank you for clarifying this. And I think one thing I wanted to ask you, and again, it, it wasn't really necessarily going to be part of the mm-hmm. discussion today, but I'm just thinking about it now as we're speaking is, you know, how does all this that we are talking about impact relationships? Because again, this podcast is very much about relationships and and for mm-hmm. couples, etc. And I'm just interested in how how might this play out in relationship dynamics and, and, you know, what can people do about that if they are facing challenges? Would you be able to touch a little bit on that? When we are in, you know, when we are comfortable and we are safe with our partners, then we're, we're flirty and we can be vulnerable and we're happy and, and things work, right? We see our partners um, in good light. And that's because we ourselves feel good and comfortable and safe. But if we are having communication problems, if we're not able to say certain things, if we're back, if we uh, feel hurt and sad and lonely, right, or angry in our relationship, then again, the environment is not, then, then we feel threatened way in that environment. Um, so when we look at our relationships with each other, uh, whether it's our you know immediate partners or even friends and family and so forth, we want to see how we interact with them. What areas can we not talk to them about? What areas do? What times of the day do we not feel comfortable? What t- you know all that stuff. So we can start to break those down. So just like like when we were talking about hormones um, and hormone test, if we just pay attention to those trends, right, where we don't feel comfortable. So say you and your husband get along really, really well, you know, you and your spouse get along really, really well, and then it comes to money. You can never talk about money. And you want to look, are you scared to speak to them about money? Or are you the one who gets angry when you talk about money. So sometimes what'll happen, and I see this often with women, is is they have a hard time talking to men about money. And it's because men get angry and uncomfortable and 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 start right and and women don't want to cause that because they they that you know is going to cause communication problems. They're going to feel uncomfortable and and threatened. But what's happening is, is there's a reason why he gets angry or mad or, or something. It's because something of value is being taken away or he's being prevented from. And something about money does that. So if you can work together to say, okay, hey, wait, we're always having this kind. Let's, let's try and unpack that. Then you can start to have better communication if you can figure out where the threats are for the individuals. Um, however, in the immediate time frame, that doesn't work, right? So if you're in the middle of a, of a conversation that turns, you know, a little bit more uh, stronger and a little bit more uncomfortable to just outright hysterical, <laughs> you know, sometimes you need a little bit of help with that um, to bring those raging hormones down so that you actually can have a conversation. And in those cases, 
in my my own experience with that, what I have learned is to take a time out. Like I learned this as a child because my mother had uh, thyroid cancer, like I mentioned, but she had just hormone issues and she would become hysterical really quickly. So I learned that the best thing to do was not to add fuel to the fire, let her be able to come down in order to have a talk. So I always learned to just kind of shut down and be quiet. What's important though is is that you explain to people what you're doing. So if you do it, they're not going to be offended by it and and stuff like that. So you need to explain to your partner what your coping systems are, right? So that they understand. So for instance, if I just shut down, I say, okay, I don't want to talk about this right now. My husband would see that I was would think that I was um, dismissing him. Right. And, and I don't want to hear from him anymore when that's not what I'm actually doing. I'm just trying to calm my own self down. So uh, my husband and I had to talk about that. We had to, I had to say, look, this, this is this is, you know, how I learned to be able to to gather my thoughts, to bring myself down. So just give me those few minutes. Um, we will talk about it. And I'm not dismissing you. It's just I can't hear you if I'm in that place, right? So so you always need to be very open about your own coping mechanisms. Yeah, it sounds to me, and, and please correct me, that also part of this is getting that self-awareness, which I guess people will do when they mm-hmm. when they work with you too, about how hormones affect their different responses um, and different emotions, and mm-hmm. then being able to communicate that to our partner, right? So they are aware mm-hmm. and they have a map about these responses so that we can understand each other better. Yeah. And, you know, as you are well aware, um, I mean, you work with couples and and relationships, so you know that timing is also a good thing. You don't bring these things up at certain times, right? You have to talk about these things when when you're a little on the calmer side and so that you can get those communication, you know, that communication going and, and, and stuff to where it's beneficial, but it does take time really is doing is it, when it's doing this is pulling your front, your, the emotional centers and your survival centers of your brain offline and pulling in the logical brain or it's, or they are distracting those areas in order for things to calm down. And and so you can see that you're actually safe. Um, and so when I tell people, you know, when we talk about breathing exercises, go, oh yeah, I've tried to do that, but that just doesn't work. Well, not every kind of breathing exercise does work. But if you can do a breathing exercise that takes some real concentration to get done, and then you understand what the goal is, that has a tendency to work a little bit better than just deep breathing though deep breathing is absolutely beneficial. It just doesn't work for people who are in the middle of a meltdown, if you will, right? So what we want to do is is we want to distract our brains and kind of pull the logical brain online so the logical brain can then have a moment to say, hey, we're, we're actually okay, you know, and we can say, why am I mad? Why am I feeling this way? What What is my threat? But you can't do that in the middle of a meltdown when your hormones are all, all over the place. So some of the skills that I teach people very, just right up at the beginning is how to do things like box breathing. Uh, box breathing is where you breathe in, exhale, and you breathe, you hold again. 
So if you're in a real meltdown, you might only be able to two. The idea is that we're in a box for a count of five. And what that's doing, you know, online so that you can you can actually start to think again. And it, it changes the mystery in your brain. So if you can breathe, if you can get yourself to where you can breathe in for a count of five, hold for a count of five, breathe out for a count of five, breathe and hold for a count of five and do that five times. So it makes it easy for you to remember. Um, By that time, your body will have calmed down, your brain will have calmed down. And now you can start to look at the the situation, say, okay, what really was my problem here? And, And remember, don't focus on the partner, focus on why am I threatened right now? Why did I get upset? Sure, your partner is upset as well, of course. But if you can just figure out why you were feeling threatened, for instance, um, I'll go back to the money conversation. If I'm feeling threatened because he gets upset, I might feel like, okay, I just don't do well when people get upset with me because I feel like there's something wrong with me. Like I, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not doing what I should be doing if if they're mad at me. Right. But if I can get myself into that calm state, then I can say, wait a minute, they're mad. It's not about me. It's about what's going on in them. So there's something that's threatening them. So I can release my threat of feeling like I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. And I think it's a great tip with the breathing. And I think what I often say that I just want to add is I even add in movement as well and do the breathing just mm-hmm. as you describe and I add because again uh, when we obviously are in a triggered adrenaline response then you know we need to move because it's eventually meant to make us either run away or, or fight so I really found mm-hmm. that adding movement to the breathing helped me tremendously because I really struggled with with deep and calm breathing too when I was super triggered and I realized that by adding the element of movement and breathing Mm -hmm. I could really calm down my nervous system and like you said my hormones would then again calm down so that worked really well for me yeah I I tell people to move all the time so for instance if you're in the office and it it gets a little crazy in the office right and you're just kind of losing it and you just feel like snapping at everybody you can go into the bathroom and just do some squats Mm -hmm. right and and anything like that because when you pull your basal ganglia this part of your brain what it's doing is it's starting to pay attention to you not falling over and being able to move and stuff so it's it's pulling resources from those areas that are causing you to feel threatened to an area that needs to pay attention to what you're doing. Um, another another really good example of this is people say, well, go for a walk. But I, I extend it and say, go for a walk, but look up at the top of the mm. trees, look into the sky, don't look at the ground, because now your brain has to work harder for you not to trip and and do those types of things. In addition, it also opens up your airways so you can get air to your vagus nerve when you look up. But just that whole idea that your brain has to work a little harder so you don't trip can pull your your emotions away from, you know, can just change your emotions very, very quickly. We tend to think that emotions are, we're stuck with emotions, but emotions actually last only a few minutes uh, once they start to dissipate. So all you have to do really is find a way to help them dissipate. Um, So by doing that with, you know, 
movement, like you said, doing something that, you know, a balancing exercise, all those things will, will help pull. The other thing that helps, you know, people used to say, well, count to 10 and stuff. And those, that's great for minor things. But if it's a little bit more, what you want to start doing is math, not super complicated math, but something a little bit more than one, two, three. Um, you know, you might want to do something like one plus one is two, two plus one is three, three plus two is, you know, and just doing that because now your logical brain is coming on to line. And that's again, that chemistry out and showing your your brain and your body that you're okay oh, this is um, the really big li- thing is no i just really like this point because i think it's quite important what you're saying because essentially you mm-hmm. know it's about trying to get right and left brain integration right when suddenly we've been we've been hijacked and the way you really describe i think is really uh, a wonderful both simple but also very practical way that people can help create that integration again so we get back in balance so yeah i just really thought that it's important for people to just get that point mm-hmm. of of that you need to do something that challenge your logical brain so that comes online again i think it's such an important point so thank you for bringing that out there because remember hormone our moods right and our emotions it can be affected by neurotransmitters and hormones and what our brain is doing is, is it's protecting us when we think we're sabotaging ourselves, when we think we're, we're, we're just protecting ourselves in some way, rather than it actually being a negative thing. We just don't really understand it sometimes because we tend to avoid them. We tend to not want to have negative emotions. Mm. But honestly, that's your brain's way of saying, hey, there's a threat here. And the type of emotion or the mood that you're in is the type of threat that you are up against. Mm, and it's, a, again, a great uh, point because it kind of means that emotion are neither good or bad. We often categorize them as this is a good emotion, this is bad. But really, emotions mm-hmm. are just messengers, right? Just like hormones. They're messengers telling us something about our current state and something we need to pay attention to. Absolutely. That's exactly what they are. They're just telling us what the threat is so if you're sad or you're feeling you know certain ways that that is the threat that you you know that's the brain that's the brain telling you this is the threat that you're under Um, and when we have symptoms you know in our bodies that's also telling us what the threat is symptoms are not usually the problem they are usually a result of our body and not being able to compensate anymore and so when we when we look at things as negatives we often are missing out on really big opportunities um when I had my fibromyalgia and anybody who's familiar with fibromyalgia it's this crazy crazy thing and it was really easy for people to believe it was exist because there were no real set set of symptoms that was like the same um and and the reason is is because it's really affecting our brains and the the thalamus and hypothalamus region of our brain which is the bridge between our endocrine system our bodies and our brains are organic and they will find a way to get the message to you so rather than avoid the message it's always better to pay attention to the message um more and more people are learning that exercise should not be painful. If you're feeling pain, don't do that. Do something else until you don't feel pain. Um, and it's not about avoiding pain. It's because pain is the message. And we, we've been 
working through pain versus, you know, and pushing through pain. And then you've got all these people who have got chronic, chronic, chronic pain, whereas our bodies don't want to be in pain. Uh, pain is our brain telling us something is damaged in that area. You don't feel pain in your, your elbow doesn't give you pain. What happens is you have a damaged area in your elbow and it sends a signal to your brain. And then your brain maps that area for you so you're careful with that particular damaged area mm-hmm. till it heals. And we do the same thing with emotions. We try to avoid them. We say, oh no, I should be, I should be happy. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be sad. I shouldn't be angry. Instead of allowing ourselves to feel what we feel and then working through those things to figure out why we feel that way and figure out what the message is, what the learning is, where the gold is, a friend of mine says. Yeah, Justine, I think this is such a wonderful, beautiful message to also leave people with that the fact is your emotions are neither good or bad. They're messengers that are trying to bring your attention to something you have to deal with. And looking at that, you're right. We don't have to try and escape or get certain emotions to go away. We have to instead just see them as what they are, a guiding compass telling us what is important right now for us. And I think that is a beautiful message to leave people with. I know that there is so much more I want to discuss with you because I want to talk to you about hormones, how it impacts sexuality and desire. But I feel Mm -hmm. that that is something we are going to do in another one because this will be too long and we will go on for (laughs) hours. So I really hope that you will come back on another podcast because as I said, there's a lot more that I would love to discuss with you. Um, And I really just want to thank you for taking the time today to come on here and share your knowledge, which I think is really valuable to create a new understanding around hormones, about our moods, uh, emotions, and what they actually mean and how we can look at them in an integrated way. So yeah, just a Mm -hmm. big thank you from me and also from the listeners out there that have been listening. And we will definitely look forward to having you back again. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and come back for our new weekly podcast. Also leave a review to keep the positive energy going that really keeps me motivated to make more of these podcasts. If you want to learn the key skills to a safe, intimate and passionate relationship, then head over to sensor.com and join the free one hour webinar. The link is in the description. You'll learn the four reasons that relationships break down. The how your attachment style may fuel conflict with your partner and how to break that cycle, why people cheat and the one tip that can prevent it, the simple three-step formula to lasting love. So thank you for joining us today and I look forward to seeing you next week for another podcast. Mm-hmm.